Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You're a busy entrepreneur architect. You're hustling to find the next project, meet with clients, keep the bills paid, and if you're lucky, maybe find some time to design. So how do you continue to learn what you need to know to grow? How do you find the information and the training you need to become more effective, more efficient, and more successful in business? I know you're busy because I'm an entrepreneur architect too. That's why we built the Entree Architect membership. On the first Wednesday of every month, we invite an expert into the academy, and they teach us about one specific topic on how to succeed at business. 60 minutes every month. Live training and Q&A then you can get right back to work. And when you remember, you'll gain access to so much more, unlimited access to business resources, a video library, digital courses, and a private member forum with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. Everything you need to build a better business is available right now at Entree Architect. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com join. That's entrearchitect.com join. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 292, and this week, Construction Administration, an Architect's Guide, with my friend architect, author, Brian Palmquist. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at rcat.com, and 
FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Brian Palmquist, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. You're an active member over at Entree Architect community on the Facebook group. Um, You and I have been uh, communicating online for forever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I mean, seems that way. Probably over a decade, and and so it's great to have you on the show to talk about some of the things that you're doing here. Uh, Let me tell people a little bit about you. Uh, Based in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, Brian's perspective is informed by broad experience, first as an employee and then a principal architect, a building envelope specialist, and a building code consultant, and nearly a decade as the quality director of a major North American construction company. Brian's the founder of Quality by Design, and he has been involved in the design and construction of almost every building type at every scale. He's also the author of An Architect's Guide to Construction, Enduring Ways in the Age of Immediacy, which he just released an updated, new updated uh, edition of that book, which we're going to talk about a little bit here today. Uh, The techniques described in his book were developed and successfully applied to projects ranging from a backyard artist studio to a $2 billion airport expansion. So Brian has a little bit of experience to share. Uh, So Brian, I shared a little bit about you. I wanted to uh, talk about the book here today, but before we dive into the book and why you why you wrote the book in the first place, I want to learn more about you. I want to learn more about your origin story. So go back to where you discovered your passion for architecture. What inspired you to become an architect and and share that story where you are from from that point to where you are today? Sure. Um, well, it goes back to uh, McGill University where I enrolled. Uh, in the days when to get into university, all you had to do was have a heartbeat. Uh, I think the entrance requirement was 65% or something like that. And I enrolled in engineering initially because my dad was an engineer and he said, well, you don't know what you want to do. So go into engineering because you can switch from there into anything and not lose any time. And that was a true statement at the time. So at McGill, first year engineering and architecture are, are together. They're both part of the faculty of engineering. And as I went through some really boring courses and things like engineering problems and stuff, um, there were a number of people in the in the uh, class who were in the architecture stream already. And uh, as I got to know them, I began to read a, bit, a lot more about it. And I read the classics, you know, the Fountainhead and stuff like that. I thought this is this is really much more about what I want to do. So I walked into the uh, the uh, architecture office midway through the year and said, "Can I switch?" And they asked me like two questions and said, sure, you're in. <laughs> so anybody who's trying to do that stuff now is going to be really annoyed at how easy it was to, to do in, in the day. So when I graduated, I, um, I did the typical thing. I, I worked for about 15 years in a, a variety of, of jobs, first in Montreal and then in Vancouver. Um, and, you know, it's that classic thing, uh, increasing levels of responsibility, um, I worked, I was really lucky in my mentoring. I had some great mentors um, who, who in those days, um, they just assumed that they had to teach you everything. So you would be working away and they would say, I think it's time you did some field review. And they'd take you out and teach you how to do field review. I think it's time you, you did a, a payment certificate and they'd take you and they'd show you how to do it. And they would, you know, monitor until you got it done right. And, you know, sadly, um, that, 
doesn't happen in many, many instances today. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. But long before that, I, I, I after 15 years um, working for other people, I started my own firm. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, I did uh, a fair bit of architecture and also a lot of building code and building specialist um, stuff. And um, and then I, I was headhunted by a major um, a North American construction firm uh, because they needed a director of quality. And one of the things that I had learned in doing um, my building code and, and building envelope work was the importance of a quality managed approach to um, to design and construction. So I worked for them for almost 10 years, developed a quality management system that they still use on uh, projects uh, ranging from pretty small to pretty big. Um, and, um, and then I left them, uh, I retired from them in 2016. Um, along the way, I'd started to teach intern architects in British Columbia uh, and actually in Ontario for a while about construction administration. And after doing that for about a dozen years, um, I got embarrassed by the scruffy binder that I was teaching from when they were learning from. So I decided as part of um, giving back and part of the mentoring that I should pull it all together. So I'm not a writer. I went to a writer's weekend where I learned a bit about the craft. And um, I, I had this really thick binder of stuff uh, and the the people running the course, I was the only nonfiction perspective writer. Everyone else was writing fiction. And um, you wouldn't believe the market for vampire erotica. But anyway, well, that, another, <laughs> another, another discussion there. Anyway, Different podcast. So they kind of looked at my, at my thick binder and they looked a little panicked and they said, are there any tales in here, any stories? I said, yeah, it's all stories. They said, great, great, great. That's what you got to do. So it, sure enough, I went home uh, at the end of this thing and I sat in my back porch and in a matter of two hours, I had written out the titles of 60 of the 70 tales that were in my first book. And I knew in my head that every one of those tales um, was about a story that had some teaching value for, um, at least for interns and students and emerging practitioners. And as I've discovered, in many cases, for quite established practitioners. So then I pulled that all together and then proudly produced that. And, and um, over a period of uh, four years, I guess I sold about 1,100 copies of that, which is 1,097 more than most self-published books That's right. sell. Um, so that was good. Uh, but a, a, a couple of years ago, well, actually, no, last year, um, the, the my course was revamped, and, and we finally engaged uh, professional educational consultants um, who helped me do a major restructuring of the course. Um, and when I, when that was done, I realized that the, the first edition of the book and the course were not really very well synchronized anymore. So I thought this is, this has got to be changed. So I had at the, uh, the book and I basically pretty much rewrote it. It's about, I'd say half of the text is new or revised. Um, Every one of the diagrams and photographs has been revisited. Um, there's 240 diagrams, tables, and photographs in the book. Um, and, uh, and, and I've ended up, instead of 70 tales, they're still there, but they're kind of second tier. I've ended up with 15 uh, elements. I've got two objectives of construction administration, 
uh, two fundamentals and then 11 elements. And that's a, a much easier piece for uh, anybody really to get their head around. Um, so I'm, I'm quite excited about it, as you can probably tell from my voice. And that brings us today. We, we just launched the book. And as I'm sure you, well, as the Entree Architect community would have seen, because I'm a shameless self-publicist, um, the the ebook and the paperback came out as number one and number two amongst Amazon new releases. Um, and uh, there's a second story about how that happened. But let's just say I learned a little bit about about marketing along the way. Um, but that's very exciting, and the, and the book is now available in ebook form and in paperback form in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., uh, Australia, uh, the EU. Uh, you can pretty much order it um, online or uh, or through a bookstore or a um, a library just about anywhere in the world now, which is really nice. So yeah, well, and well, congratulations on on number one spot. That's exciting after you put all that work and effort into it to, uh, to see your name and your book next to that Amazon number one sign, it's gotta be a good feeling. Yes. Um, yes. so the, the name of the book is an architect's guide to construction, enduring ways in the age of immediacy, which I love that title. Why did you, why did you name it that? What the, the subtitle is really what, what rings my bell. What's, what's that? Uh, why, what was the inspiration for that? Sure. Well, uh, very briefly on the main title, uh, I am not. Uh, I, I noticed when I was doing my initial research that organizations like the AIA and the uh, the British and the Canadian equivalents uh, all had the guide to architecture. It was like the Bible, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just an architect, so that's why I put an architect's guide as opposed to the architect's guide. It was a little more humble, but. Um, uh, and, and the subtitle of the first edition was Tales from the Trenches. But as I began to get my head around the second edition, um, I identified that uh, regardless of what technology you use, and I'm pretty techno, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much up there. I've been, I was in the cloud, uh, working in the cloud two years before the cloud was called the cloud. Um, and I've been there ever since, if you will. Some people will say my head's been way, up, way too far up there, but that's okay. Um, so, but notwithstanding the technology that you use, whether it's paper or electrons or some combination thereof, um, there really are only, um, well, in my estimation, 15 enduring elements, enduring things that, that construction administration is all about. And whether you're, you're doing a single family home or an addition thereto, or a major office building, um, the same things are there. And so those are what I call the enduring ways. And they've been there for um, way longer than I've been around. And I think they'll be around for way longer than I'm going to be around. Um, so that's where that came from, because I think it's important that people understand that construction administration is not magically going to happen. There's no there's no uh, website that's going to do it for you. Um, it's got to be done. Um, but the age of immediacy is interesting. Um, um, the first iPhone came out in 1997, and the world changed. Um, and and interestingly, the use of the word immediacy peaked in 1997. I, it's one of the little diagrams in my book, but it was just sort of one of those happenstance things I found out. So the age of immediacy 
um, is where um, it used to be that if there was a problem on a construction site, when I started out, someone would call you, and if you couldn't solve it over the phone, they would mail you something, and you would have like two days while it was in the mail to consider the issue, and then when you got the letter or the thing, you could um, you could respond to it, and two days later, they would get the response. And somehow construction worked with that. And now, um, you know, what you get is, did you get my email? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, here it is. Yeah, here it is. So what's the answer? Um, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Okay, so can you, I'll give you 10 minutes. So that's the age of immediacy. And um, and how you manage the complexities of construction in an environment where people want perfect answers every time immediately is is the challenge. Um, so, um, so getting my head around that, uh, starting in the paper age and ending in the in the handheld age, um, uh, I, I've always been focused on um, the simplest most efficient, fastest way to do the job right. So um, I, I feel that I've discovered a lot of, of uh, immediacy ways to manage the enduring ways of construction. Hence the subtitle. Yeah, that's a great subtitle. And it is, and, and you know, I experienced, I, I came up through the profession in that evolution. When mm -hmm. I first started in the early 90s, it was just starting to happen. You know, you can see that it was just, we were still living in the days where, you know, you'd have a request for information and it was mailed to you and you'd look at it and you'd have some time to review it. You put together the information and you submit it back through the mail to all the people who requested the information. Mm -hmm. um, and there was some time to think about it and to go through it and make sure it's correct and confirm your information and, and, uh, and today, like you said, Brian, it's it's people expect things immediately that they send mm -hmm. an, a, a request for information very informally through an email. Um, and you are expected to respond to that immediately. Um, and and buildings, the way buildings are being built, have changed because of that. Yes. Right. It's yes. that 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 has had an impact on the way our built environment is being built uh, because of that, because a lot of people are not putting systems into place that, that manage that new process. They're just responding immediately. And many times it's inefficient or inaccurate or, or, or you end up at a place where you don't want to be um, both from a construction point of view and from an architect's liability point of view. Um, and mm -hmm. so, uh, I think your book is a is is very timely and is an is a needed book. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you talked about in the beginning of your uh, in your introduction, your origin story. You talked about your mentors and how important they were in your life. Mm -hmm. um, how much of an influence did those early mentors have on you wanting to create this book? Um. It was quite quite profound. My my first really good mentor. I worked for him for about five years. Um, I guess I, I exhibited some ability to manage more than one thing at a time. And during the five years I worked for him, we went through three recessions. Um, and 
uh, and I kept my job. Um, and um, I, I finally went to him after the, the third event and said, so you just laid off somebody with a lot more experience than me. Why did you keep me? And he said, well, you're the only guy who can manage seven projects at a time uh, in various phases. So, okay, I thought this is, this is good. It's a good skill. Um, and, and he was constantly um, helping with um, the ways that I was learning, in those days still on paper, to, to manage and communicate and organize things. Um, he, but he was also really, I mean, he, he ran a full-service practice that did uh, housing and schools and hospitals and office buildings. Uh, and, and as I said, he, um, it was never something he kind of said, I'm mentoring you. He just took it as part of his responsibility to take each of his employees. And it wasn't just me, it was everybody, uh, I would say. And when he thought they were ready, bring them to the next level in terms of how they were uh, doing, you know, design and, and construction. But, um, you know, I'm focused on construction here. So, so be it. Um, and as I sort of became more senior and working for other firms, um, uh, I was lucky enough to find a succession of places where the, um, the principals might not be as into um, the management of construction as I was, but they kind of let me have my head. They let me kind of do what I wanted, and they would just tell me if I screwed up, um, uh, in their opinion. Um, so, so mentoring initially is, how do I do this? Um, and then later, it's, how do I do this better, faster, cheaper, easier? Um, and, and a good mentor will recognize where you are on the how do I do this uh, continuum and hopefully encourage you um, on the how do I do this more efficiently um, thing. So that's kind of um, uh, what the value of mentors has been to me. Do you see the book as sort of your way of mentoring the masses, mentoring the, the profession uh, at large? Um, I like to think so. I, I've certainly had... Um, so one of the things I did for the second edition, which I didn't do for the first but should have, is I had 22 people, uh, volunteers, um, uh, what I call beta readers, read the manuscript um, of the book and answer specific questions but also make um, general comments. And, and, and I'll admit part of that was um, to solicit, hopefully, praise, nice things. Um, what was really interesting was... Um, uh, I had to pretty much rewrite the book after I had the um, the input from the from the uh, beta readers um, who were in a sense like mentors because they didn't they didn't hold back um, and I did a number of very basic things I took most of the technology discussions and moved them to uh, a section I call concluding tales um, because people were getting confused I was jumping into technology and out again and back in and was kind of like, well, what are you, what are we talking about here? Um, so, um, so that was a very useful observation for several of them to make, because um, what it caused me to do was to focus at the front end of the book on uh, really what are the key elements of submittals, field review, payment certification, uh, and 
Also, of course, my audience was about 50-50 Canada in the U.S., and I actually had a fellow from Kenya who was incredibly perceptive. Um, uh, so both audiences were happy to say, well, we don't do it that way here. Um, so I made many changes to either bring in um, knowledge from elsewhere or say your model may differ. So be careful about that. Um, but the, 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 uh, the essence of the, of the 15 elements is um, to be as clear as possible about what you got to do um, and then to um, essentially set you free to figure out the most efficient way to do that. Um, there's a lot of, of um, technology um, out there that actually increases the mechanics of construction administration. So if you know what you're doing and you spend way too much time doing it, then, um, then you're not getting ahead um, because you're still going to run out of time. You're going you're gonna to guess at the answer to that RFI. You're going um, to make an error on the payment certification or whatever it is because you're spending too much time in the mechanics. So I try and focus on the essence of what you have to do. And then at the end, in the concluding tales, I basically say, this is how I do it. Um, your model will differ. Uh, but um, here's the best I've found so far. And, um, and also, here's, uh, in the concluding tales, I have a, a detailed list of um, how to evaluate uh, construction man administration software, um, what's important in the field and what's important in the office. And this is based upon all my years of experience. Um, uh, so, you know, even just that is probably worth the price of admission because um, I basically lay out if you're interested in, in using technology for CA, here are the things you got to find out about. Uh, and you got you got to push on them because people are not going to, the sales guy's not going to tell you that their field review is really weak. He's going to tell you what's really good and, uh, and hope that you'll buy before you discover. So who, who would you say that the book is written for? Um, it's written for, uh, for um, mostly intern architects, so those who have an architectural degree and are working towards being registered, uh, and what we call emerging practitioners, people who are registered but are still getting a lot of that experience, hopefully. Um, uh, there's a lot, if you're, if you're a, a keen student of the technology side, or not the technology side, the technical side, if you will, the the construction side of design and construction, you'll get value. And I have to say that I've had a lot of, of established practitioners, uh, including a few of my of my beta readers, who basically said, um, I, I keep on going back to your book because when I have a problem or my men, or my intern has a problem or whatever, it's, it's the best place to help us find the answer. So that's very gratifying, but principally, interns and emerging practitioners, but other people seem to be getting value. So that's good. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's value for for every architect uh, who is who's who is managing, um, not managing, who is performing construction administration services. 
We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, and Fresh Books. You know, it's what many professionals in architecture dread editing down a manufacturer's specification. Don't you hate that? You're staring down a 54-page specification and you really only want one product and all its attributes. That's it. You know there's a better way. And it's not throwing the entire specification into the project documents. No, it's RCAT. RCAT's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a patented, one-of-a-kind, automated spec writing tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes, not hours. Just select the products and the options you want to specify and generate a three-part CSI spec in minutes. That's it. In minutes. One, two, three. Best of all, it's free. It's free. There's no requirements for registration. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. Go to rcat.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com and build better content with Spec Wizard. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It wasn't easy, right? It took a lot of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier for yourself? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have a solution for you. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than that dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So as you grow, it grows. You'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've already used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card. Free for 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. And let them know that we sent you by entering Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. Arcat and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. How important, from your point of view, obviously you wrote a book on that phase, how important is it for architects to actually be performing the services of construction administration? Because there's a lot of architects that don't. That They, yes. they design the building, uh, they put together the drawings, they get the permit, and then they walk, um, and, mm -hmm. they, and, they, and they're done. Um, mm -hmm. what is your thought on that, uh, that idea? Well, I was initially amazed to discover that, that the, the walk part even happened because, um, I guess I was lucky enough to, um, gain most of my experience in a jurisdiction where, um, you can't walk anything larger than a duplex requires the involvement of the architect during the course of construction period. Um, now you can still do it. A light job of that, I guess, but um, you can't just walk away from it. Um, and what I say to people who say, "Well, I don't get involved in the construction," and they say, "Is okay." You need to understand that the builder doesn't think the way the designer thinks. So, 
Uh, here's the example I like to bring out. So um, you get a commission to design a big box store, and 90% of that is a big box. And you've maybe got a, a nice port cocher that you've designed as, a, as an entry statement, and that's the only fun you're having. That's the only complexity, whatever. Um, the builder just thinks that's a pain in the butt, that port cocher. is just it's just going to, you know, it's, it just makes life miserable. He'd really rather just build the other 90%. So if you are involved in construction and you do, as I recommend in the book, meet up with the superintendent early on, tell him or her what's important to you in the design of the building. What are the things you really want to see uh, submittals for? What are the things you really want to see mock-ups for, even more important, um, uh, They'll A, be surprised you bother to ask, and B, be surprised when you tell them the port cocher is the thing that's important to you because they, they, they won't necessarily glom onto that. So if you want the design built according to your design, you got to be involved in construction. Yeah, and, I, and, and you've written a book about, about construction administration from that technical side, from that manage, or the administration side. The other piece to construction administration that I bring up all the time to architects with the intent of encouraging them to, to embrace construction administration is, is in addition to being there during the crises that will inevitably happen during construction, right? And you will be blamed as the architect if you're not there to defend yourself. Right. Um, but it's, I, in my opinion, it is the most critical phase in construction from a marketing point of view. That that's the point when your designs and all of your work has is becoming real. It's 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 finally uh, becoming real to your client. They're walking through it now and they're seeing all of the hard work that you've accomplished or that you that you um, that you did during the the other phases. And if you're not there, guess who's getting the credit for all of that work? Mm-hmm. The, the people who are building it are going to get the credit, and because the the client is forgetting that. You did all that work. It's it's becoming what it is. It's becoming the architecture that they are loving because of all of that work that you did. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you if you're not there to remind them of the fact that you're you're responsible for that, then then you lose that opportunity, and you lose the opportunity for those people to refer you refer you to the next client who who uh, wants that experience, and so. Uh, I, for my opinion is even if it's not the law, um, construction administration is one of the most important, uh, phases of all of the phases that we perform as architects. Right. I I agree with you a hundred percent. In fact, I was just flipping through the book, the largest sections of the book, the, the, the two elements of the book that have the most tales about them are field review and what I call finish ups, the, the end of the job. And, um, uh, and the reason I have that many tales is exactly what you're saying, how critical that is. And, and, and it's what the client remembers. So if the client right. remembers that your um, field review and, and your completion approaches are professional and comprehensive and efficient and fair, that's what will stick in the client's mind. And, and I've had, uh, when I was the director of quality for this large construction company, um, I, 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 I we were doing it any given. We were starting a project every week and finishing a project every week. Um, it was that sort of big a company, and and so I didn't get to see 
other than a small percentage of them. But I did get called into all the screw ups and um, many of which I had never heard about until they were messed up. Uh, and I had a, a, a several clients on different occasions um, say, you know, we're going to get over this and we're going to hire you folks for the next job. Uh, and I would say, well, that's nice. And, and they would say, well, the reason we're going to hire you for the next job is that we know that you're going to, we know that things go wrong. We know that there are challenges and we, and we see every day that you folks work through them. You work through them with the design team and you work through them with us, the client. And if the client sees that the designer is working through the construction challenges in a professional uh, way, um, then that's what will be in their mind because that's what's going to be there at the end. And uh, and you might um, really, really be happy with that poor cochere, to go back to my earlier example. Um, uh, but if the client feels that you were absent for 95% of the rest of the building, um, in his mind or their mind, you'll be, you know, kind of, you didn't care. Um, uh, so ideally, if you are involved in that, whole process it may be you know it's it's a lighter hand perhaps on the bay after bay after bay of the box um but nonetheless you're there and if there's an issue you you deal with it but um uh the pork share still will turn out nice you'll be happy um but the client will remember you for all that other 95 percent that that worked out really well and and you know uh, you, you may not want to design nothing but big boxes, fair enough, but clients tend to do a number of things, and they talk to everybody. So that client, you know, will hear at, at a luncheon or, or with some buddies or whatever um, that, you know, we're looking for an architect for our office building. And and they might say, oh, well, I, I, I don't know how good Brian is on, on office buildings. He just finished this big box source, but, geez, did he ever do a great job? So give him a call anyway. I mean, that's the way you build you build business. And and as you pointed out, and I'm just sort of underlining, um, it's the construction part that is at the end. I mean, it's it's, it's a big end, um, and but that's what the client remembers because that's where um, their budget is made or broken, their money is made or broken, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and they also clients are also proud of good stuff that they do. And, and they'll share that pride with you and with all their clients if, or their friends and, and associates um, if, they, if they know you've been part of that. So, Yeah. I think the, so, so much of the success that architects have uh, can, can be re, um, reduced to relationships. That mm-hmm. your relationship with the contractor, your relationship with the client mm-hmm. – um, that those those best projects that you've done are most likely the projects that you've had the the, the strongest relationships with that construction team, um, and that that requires you to be present, right, during construction, yes. uh, to be able to have those that relationship to be built to the point where uh, a contractor will come to you and say, you know, there's an issue here that we need to resolve, and gives you the opportunity to address that before it becomes a big crisis and the mm-hmm. clients involved and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and from the other point of view, you know, your relationship with the, with the client is only reinforced and, and gets better during construction if you manage it properly, right? If you, if you Correct. manage that phase properly, um, which is exactly the, the reason why people should, 
look at your book and, and purchase it and, and use it every day when they're doing their, their uh, construction administration. Can you, can you walk us through a couple of the, um, the elements? Because you talked about the elements. I just want people to understand what you, what you mean by that when you, sure. when you say that the book is broken down into 15 elements. We yeah. don't need to go through every one of them, but just a few just so we can sort of understand how the book is structured. Sure. Well, we have um, uh, two objectives in construction administration. Um, compliance with the code, with the drawings, with, every, with the contract, and risk management. That's it. If, you've got, if, you're, if your construction phase complies with your uh, design documentation and what the codes require, and if you manage risks, you're done for the objectives. The fundamentals um, are uh, the contracts that are used in um, construction and the people that you're working with, what I call the collaborators. And uh, the reason the contracts are in there is when I, when I used to teach, I, I jump right into stuff like field review and I would mention contracts and then I would notice the students' eyes glazing over. So I started asking them, how many of you have read the contracts of the projects you're doing admin on? And it like 5% of the hands would go up. And then someone would put their hand up and say, my boss told me I don't need to look at that. And I think, oh my God. So, <laughs> uh, so, so contracts and, and the people you're working with, and there's definitely some suggestions on, on how to make that an easier process. The 11 elements themselves, they start with basic communications, um, dealing with what I call regulators, the building authorities, people like that. Uh, RFIs has its own chapter because it's such a tough one. Uh, how to deal with money, um, how to deal with submittals, um, mock-ups, uh, which a lot of people think are submittals but aren't really. Um, how to deal with all the changes that happen in site instructions during work. Uh, field review, what I affectionately call screw-ups, how do we deal with the problems. Uh, Finish-ups, how do we have a clean go. And then uh, archiving and warranty, how do we how do we have a nice crisp end to this um, process? And then there's some concluding tales. So I actually just did run through the 15 elements there. Yeah. Uh, and and each one, um, when I was thinking about this, I, I kind of figured out that structure first and then noticed that um, that 15 is, is sort of a typical number of weeks in a instructional program, post-secondary, you know, technical school, architectural school, whatever. So I thought, oh, this is good. Um, this could actually be a useful text for those folks if they wanted to do that with it. Uh, but anyway, that's the essence of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is one of those books. You said that it's mostly for interns and, and emerging professionals, but I would say this is a book that should be on the bookshelf of every architect that, that is, that is uh, running construction administration phase. Cause it's a reference book that you can go back to and sort of make sure you're getting everything done that you're supposed to be getting done in a, an efficient, effective manner. It's right there. It shows you exactly how to do it and, and why to do it. And, and uh, and even has the, the the documents you need to do it. So um, it's uh, it's a valuable valuable book. Brian, before we before we wrap up here, um, I mm -hmm. want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody, um, and I think that you'll probably have a really good answer to this. Brian, what's what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think it's it's even more important for small firms to um, to do the whole 
design and construction thing. I think that um, that whether people are looking for an addition on their home um, or a uh, any other kind of commercial or residential building you could imagine. Um, and interestingly, small firms, um, like the first firm I worked for, a $6 million job was a huge project. Today, um, single person firms can easily manage a 15 or $20 million project because of the improvements in technology. So a small firm can do big work. Um, and often the decision to say small is a personal one, but that's okay. Um, but I think that if you embrace the entire design and construction process um, and make it clear to everybody involved that you're in it for the, the full meal deal and for the long haul, that um, you will inevitably uh, do better, um, be happier because you'll see a better correspondence of what you design and what got built. Um, and you'll also be happier because your likelihood of, of having problems, whether they're with regulators, uh, lawyers, um, insurers, or whatever, will be dramatically reduced. So be yeah. in it for the whole meal deal. Totally agree. A and you'll be strengthening the profession. Because yes. by by not doing that work, the profession is being is that role and those responsibilities are being taken over by somebody else. And every time we give away one of our roles or responsibilities, it's weakening the profession. Um, and so, if nothing else, <laughs> if nothing else, do it for the profession uh, because it will not only help you and your business, but it will help the entire profession uh, by us having more control over the over the final construction uh, of the buildings that we design. Absolutely. The book is titled An Architect's Guide to Construction, Enduring Ways in the Age of Immediacy. Uh, you can find out all about it at Brian's website, anarchitectsguide.com, anarchitectsguide.com. Uh, we'll have links to that on the show notes. You can buy the book on Amazon, and we'll have a link to that on the show notes as well. You can also, uh, it's going to avail be available soon at bookstores like Barnes & Nobles and all those other big book bookstores and libraries. Don't forget libraries. If, uh, if the bookstores don't have it, ask for it because they can get it. Uh, and if enough people ask for it, then they'll get a whole bunch of them and put them on the shelf. Um, and so if you don't see it, ask for it. They'll, they'll get it for you. Um, you'll find Brian online at LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, he's a very active member over at the Entree Architect community, our private Facebook group. If you want to join that, it's entrearchitect.com slash group. Uh, Brian also has a Facebook group uh, at uh, for the An Architect's Guide. So you can also join that one at facebook.com slash groups slash An Architect's Guide. You can just search for it as well, An Architect's Guide. You'll find it. Uh, Brian, this has been a, a, a great conversation, very valuable information, uh, and I hope it inspires and motivates some of those architects out there who may not be performing construction administration to take a second look at it and uh, and to and to get this book and follow some of those rules and um, and and do a great job doing it and building building a better better business by doing that. So, Brian, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is episode two hundred ninety-two. So, if you'd like access to the show notes or you want to share this episode with a friend, the link is entrearchitect.com/slash episode two nine two. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 292. 
If you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you are an entree architect, and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Come learn more about Entree Architect membership at entrearchitect.com slash join. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together.
Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.